You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. On our podcast, the goal is not just to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon and talk about what we're learning and what God is doing in us and in our community. The sermon you're about to listen to comes from our fall 2023 sermon series, The God Who Rescues. In this series, we're walking with the Israelites from Egypt to Mount Sinai, looking at how God redeems and forms a people for himself. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. But I want you to think about uh, the last time, maybe that you were gathered together with people you love. That could be a group of family, it could be a group of friends, it could be just one other single person. But no matter who that group of people is or that person is, if I were a betting man, I'd be willing to place a fairly large wager on the proposition that at least one of you told a story. It could be a big story about something that's been going on in your life for a while, or it could be something small, like something, a story about something one of your kids or grandkids did. It could be one of those stories that has become part of the lore of a family or a friend group because it's been shared so many times, right? You know those stories, the ones that that contribute to our sense of identity as as a people, as a group, or one of those stories that that just leaves you laughing until you cry. Um, Sometimes it's the same story, right? But as people, we're wired to share stories because we're people who have been formed by stories. One of the stories that have arguably shaped more people down through time and, and across geography is the story of the Exodus, right? Entire cultures, whether they're explicitly Jewish or Christian or just influenced by those faiths, they point back to that story of the Exodus as one of the stories that helps us understand all the other stories, right? And so every year around Easter, right, we watch the Ten Commandments, right? And we see Charlton Heston, portraying Moses. But for the next month or so, we're gonna be walking with the Israelites as God redeems them from their slavery in Egypt and leads them to Mount Sinai where they are going to enter into a covenant relationship with God and be formed into his people. So I'm glad that you chose to be here this morning as we begin our fall sermon series or you're watching online or, or maybe you're even catching this a little later in the week, but I'm glad you're taking time to enter into this sermon series with us. I want to paint a little picture this morning, not actually paint a picture because my artistic skills are limited to what I can do on a computer. Um, but I want to paint a little picture as background to the scripture reading that we heard this morning from Exodus chapter three. And this is gonna be background information then that influences the whole rest of this sermon series, right? So the book of Exodus opens with the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt. And they got there, right? Because Joseph 
one of Jacob's sons, had been sold into slavery by his very own brothers. But over time, he rises to prominence within uh, Egypt, even coming from, from the very lowest place, from a prison cell. But he rises to prominence because God used him to interpret dreams. And one of those interpretations saved Egypt from suffering under a famine. And so Joseph ended up as the number two guy in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. But that same famine, when it hit the region, that same famine that Joseph warned Egypt about, also hit the land of Canaan, where Jacob and the rest of his family were still living. And so eventually, Joseph's brothers come to buy grain to feed their family. Long story short, because there's enough there to preach a whole sermon series on that story, Uh, But those brothers, the whole family, ends up moving to Egypt as well. And as families do, they grew and grew and grew. And eventually, a new pharaoh came to power. A pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph and all that he had done for the people of Egypt. Uh, A pharaoh who felt threatened by this rising population of Israelites living in his land. And so this Pharaoh, (coughs) excuse me, tried to keep the Israelites from growing, particularly by targeting the baby boys who could one day grow into fighting uh, fighters. But despite that oppression, despite the persecution that they were facing, the Israelites continued to multiply, and in their slavery and oppression, they cried out to God. Now, one of those baby boys who was supposed to be killed was a little baby boy named Moses, right? But instead of being killed, many of you know this story, he's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in the palace, but eventually, Moses Realizes He recognizes that he is not an Egyptian, right? He is a Hebrew. And, and so he sees the injustices that are being imposed on his people. And in his own power, he rises up, tries to right the wrongs, kills an Egyptian, flees into exile. When we pick up with Moses in today's passage, he's been in exile now for 40 years years, 40 years, it's a long time, or so I'm told. I want you to imagine, though, what it might have been like to be Moses at this point in his life. Here he is in this new life that he's created for himself. He's no longer a Hebrew slave. He's no longer an Egyptian prince. He's taken on the role and identity of a Midianite shepherd. Anybody on job day in school say, my profession that I want to be one day is a Midianite shepherd? I didn't think so. Tina, put your hand down. (laughs) Moses is running from his past, both of his pasts. He started this new life and not just started, like I said, he's been there for 40 years in the wilderness. 
It's not unlike a character in a movie who committed some kind of crime and has gone into hiding, right? They move to a new place, they adopt a new identity, they begin to live a new life, but the whole time, they still know who they are. And they're always kind of looking over their shoulder, waiting for someone to find out their secret. So imagine being Moses, who is just minding his own business one day. Actually, he's minding his father-in-law's business. He doesn't even have his own flocks. But imagine being Moses as you're minding your business there in the wilderness. And as you go to investigate this weird situation, right, there's a bush that's burning, which isn't all that unusual, except that this time the bush is burning, but it's not burning up. And when you get a little closer, a voice calls out to you by name. Imagine being Moses as this whole self-protection charade comes completely unraveled. The secret that he's been trying to cover up for these past 40 years is being exposed. How would you respond to that voice? How would you respond to being named in the midst of your hiding? I can't imagine that when Moses said, here I am, his response was full of confidence. I can't imagine that his response was all that excited that somebody knew who he was and where he was. If anything, I have to think that his response was one of at least confusion, if not fear. But God was just looking for a response, right? And when Moses joined this conversation that God was initiating, God was ready to reveal more of who he is to Moses. He tells Moses not to come too close, to, to take the sandals off his feet because Moses was standing on holy ground. And friends, there have been more than one time standing here in this pulpit, in the midst of this sanctuary, where I've wondered if I shouldn't take my shoes off. I'm not going to, don't worry. But, but to think about the people who have stood in this place and, and the things that God has said to his people from this position, it's holy ground, it's holy ground. So God tells Moses, don't come any closer. Take off the sandals. This is holy ground. And then God goes on. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it's in that moment, as God identifies himself to Moses, that the light bulb comes on for Moses. That, that understanding dawns on Moses. And he does what I think most of us would do in that situation. He hides his face. He hides his face because he now knows who God is and he certainly knows who he is. Think about it, Moses has been not just called out by name in the midst of his hiding, he was called out by God, the one who knew exactly why Moses was hiding. 
But God's not done yet. And he doesn't let Moses' issues stop him from saying what he wants to say to him. And these next couple verses in verses seven, eight, nine, I think are so key to understanding what God is doing, not just here in chapter three of Exodus, but through the whole story that the book of Exodus is telling us. God goes on and says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their crying out because of their slave drivers. Can you imagine how many Israelites had wondered at some point if God knew about their suffering? How many times it had been asked either aloud in conversation or in the quietness of one's own heart? Does God see what's going on in my life? Does God hear my cries? Questions that may not be so different from the questions of our own heart. Does God see what's going on in my situation? Does he hear my prayers or are they just bouncing back off the ceiling? But just in case we or the Israelites were tempted to think that maybe God sees what's going on, he just doesn't care. God says, and I am concerned about their suffering. Friends, God cares. He cares. And listen, I get it. We don't always understand why God's timeline is different than our own. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for generations. And you may have stuff you've been dealing with in your own life for years or even decades but it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. And it doesn't mean that God's not acting in ways that we can't yet see, or that there aren't other people or other reasons as to why God waits. But just like in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, the time had come God was telling Moses the time had come when God chose to act on behalf of Israel. God had told Abraham that his descendants would be strangers in a foreign country for hundreds of years. But in the fourth generation, they were going to return to the land of Canaan. And so God says, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And God himself comes to rescue the Israelites because he's the God who rescues. And I think when God rescues, there are always two purposes in that rescue, right? He he rescues us from something and he rescues us for something. God was rescuing Israel from Egypt so that he could rescue them for himself. He rescues us from, and he rescues us for. And that for, of bringing them to himself, he wanted to bless them. He was going to keep the promise that he made to Abraham. 
So God continues, he says, and to bring them up out of that land, the land of Egypt, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and any other ites that might have been living there at that time. The Israelites weren't being rescued to be homeless. And they weren't being rescued to wander in the wilderness forever. They were being rescued so God could give them the land that he promised to Abraham all those years before. And so just in case Moses missed it the first time, God summarizes what he's doing. He says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God heard the cries of the Israelites and when the right time had come, God appeared here to Moses and said, you're my guy. I'm sending you to Pharaoh and you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. But wait a minute. Didn't God just say that he had come down to rescue his people? What's God doing sending Moses? Does God need a person to accomplish his will? Doesn't God know who this Moses guy is and what he's done in the past? Apparently Moses had similar thoughts. He asked God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And this is the point where I don't understand why God does things the way God does things. But I trust him in it. You see, all through the history of the world, God has chosen to act in partnership with human beings. Right? He made Adam and Eve and set them to be stewards over his whole creation. He, he, he spoke to Noah and told him to build an ark and his family and all of humanity through them were spared from God's judgment. He called to Abram and his wife Sarai to walk with him and God gave them Isaac, the child that he promised them. And here in this story, God was inviting Moses into his mighty acts of salvation. And friends, God still chooses to work through people, people who are willing to say yes to God. And sometimes that means that God chooses to work through the most unlikely people, right? Living testimony right here. But Moses... Right? He should have been killed in his infancy. He was raised in the very palace of Pharaoh, learning from the best and brightest Egyptians, learning all about their stories and their worldview. Moses tried to find justice for his people by taking the matter into his own hands. And now Moses was hiding on the backside of the Sinai Peninsula, herding his father-in-law's sheep. And God comes to him and said, you're the guy, go to Pharaoh. But God doesn't just say go. 
right? God doesn't just tell Moses, go, good luck. God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And I'm even going to give you a sign. After you've obeyed and gone to Pharaoh, you and all the people of Israel are gonna worship me right here on this mountain. Don't you love signs like that? Here's your sign. After you obey, you'll come and worship me here. It's not exactly confidence inspiring, is it? But sisters and brothers, I don't know everything that you're going through today, but I do know two things, right? I know in a group this size, statistics say that some of you are battling cancer or other diagnoses, other medical things. Some of you are dealing with infidelity in your marriages or pornography. Others of you are facing financial hardships. Still others are burdened for children who aren't walking with God. Whatever suffering you're going through today, I want to tell you, God sees it. God sees your suffering. God hears your cries. God knows your pain in those situations. And he cares. He cares about the things that are breaking your heart. And he cares about the burdens that are breaking your back. I don't know God's reasons for not acting in the way we want him to or on the timeline that we would choose. But he hasn't forgotten you. And he's not turned a blind eye to your pain. Maybe there's still a lesson he wants to teach you. Maybe there's something he wants to do in someone else through your suffering. But he cares. And God won't waste our pain. He cares. That's the first thing I know. The second thing I know is that God often uses the most unexpected people to bring about the redemption of other people. You don't have to read very far in the story of scripture to begin to realize that it's not a book of exceptional people, right? Who are somewhere out of reach, they're so good and holy that that's why God could use them in the way that he did. It's a book full of examples people who are just like you and me, flawed and failing and weak. And the people that we hold up as heroes in scripture, think of that 11th chapter of Hebrews, right? People like Abraham. Abraham lied and let his wife be taken by another man twice. Jacob stole his brother's birthright to get the blessing that didn't belong to him. Moses, as we've mentioned, murdered an Egyptian. Rahab was a prostitute and the list goes on and on. But when those people were willing to say yes to God, God was willing to work through them. 
not because of anything that they had done to earn it, but because he promised to be with them. I don't know who God wants you to be a Moses for, helping to bring redemption because God has heard their cries. And you may not know yet either, and that's okay. But the beautiful and crazy thing is, we don't have to know. We don't have to know. All God needs is our next yes. Right? He is the God who, who rescues. And he's chosen to do it through people like you and me. Moses was willing to say yes to God, even though he had to argue with him a little bit before he got there. But Moses was willing to say yes to God. Will you say yes to God today?